In the 1960s, where rioting was virtually a norm and freedom fighters were asking, who do you turn to when a cop hits you? They weren't thinking about where you turn when an elected official sticks his finger in a voter's chest and shouts, I don't work for you. It's clear we can't count on our elected officials to stand up for what's right. The law, truth, justice. Actually, we do have one ally. He's with you now. He's Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a brand new week. Welcome to TNN Live, and I trust you had a very wonderful, fruitful, and relaxing, and even a joyous weekend. Joyous. Wait a minute. It's not Christmas time. You can't be joyous or joyful until the uh, angels begin to sing at Christmas time, right? No, look, we don't have to live a life that's just filled with desperation. Do you know what? All of these things that are confronting us, I mean top to bottom, in politics, out of politics, it makes no difference. We make them difficult. They are not difficult on their own. Yeah, they bring problems that uh, I don't think any of us deserve, but they're there. And stuff happens. And stuff happens in ways where you don't want it to happen, and certainly in ways where it's unexpected. But it happens. I will never forget, never will I forget this. My daughter and her husband walked in my office, gray-faced, said, Dad, we gotta, we got to talk. We, we just we got to sit down and talk. And I'm in, I knew immediately something was wrong. A great couple. They were married for about four or five years before they decided it was time to get pregnant. They got pregnant with my first grandbaby from that particular part of our family and found out, I guess, 20 weeks in that the baby was not going to make it. We lost the baby. Emerson was her name, still is her name. And I'll never forget that. But then here we are two years later. And Corey and Scott are sitting in my office telling me Corey's been diagnosed with malignant breast cancer. And we're facing all of the unimaginable things that go along with women getting breast cancer. We had double mastectomy. We had horrible chemotherapy. That was about 13 or 14 years ago. And she hasn't each year. She goes and gets tested and she's cancer free. Thank God she's free. They chose, in both of those horrible circumstances, they chose to not let those circumstances screw up their weeks every week. Desperation is not something that we have to endure. If you're going to be desperate, if desperation is going to drive your life, it's because you chose to make it happen. It may not change the circumstances, but if we hold our head up, And if we look at every Monday morning, like, uh, you know, this is going to be easy. Monday, the first day of my week. So what are we doing now? Relax with me. Think about today, your Monday. And let's make Monday easy this week. How about that, huh? Girl, I'm leaving you tomorrow. 
a good way to start any um, any week, any day, and that was easy like Sunday morning. I hope Sunday was good for you, but if it wasn't, you made it. You're here on Monday, and we're together again. Hey, listen, thank you for joining us today. We have so much to wade into. All of the big issues that many of were impacted with circumstances that happened through the weekend, some of them, many of these are carryovers from the previous week, and we have some very, very important things we're going to weigh into. Going to make you think today. So buckle up and let's get cranking. We'll start right here. Let me ask you a question. Am I the only American who looks for one of those wicked white supremacists behind every tree when I'm walking my dog? Am I the only one? If you choose to watch or listen to left-wing media outlets today, the bombardment of white supremacists is a certainty. Everybody's faced with them. But quite honestly, even when I do internet searches for news stories that report those rampant white supremacy attacks on people of color, especially African Americans, I don't see them. Now why could that be? Maybe, just maybe, it's a mainstream media blackout of all those attacks by KKK wannabes that attack in the dark of night. 
Or maybe there are just so many such attacks on unsuspecting American minorities that they can't all be worked into the hot top headlines and subsequent stories, so they just get left out. Well, I'm pretty sure those are not the answers for the lack of cross burnings in front yards of black people or lynchings or rampant confrontations on U.S. city streets. Obviously, we're just not looking in the right places. To combat this most dangerous threat against democracy, according to our president, along with those evil ultra-MAGA Americans. There certainly is a plethora of truth to back up those allegations. If not, why did the president convene a forum to discuss it? He did that last Thursday. He convened the United We Stand Forum at the White House that was aimed at confronting what civil rights groups, local officials, and academics say is an explosive rise in extremism and white supremacy that threatens the core of America's democracy. This summit, the United We Stand Summit, builds on the administration's push to root out what they call racially motivated domestic violent extremists. The threat sparked a sweeping strategy that included the creation of a specialized Justice Department unit to combat domestic terrorism. Mr. Biden delivered the keynote address, and in it he highlighted the administration's response to hate and put forward a shared vision for a more united America. Now listen to this. Current and former FBI agents told the Washington Times that this perceived threat about white supremacy has become overblown under this administration. They say that FBI bureau analysts and the top officials are pressuring FBI agents to create domestic terrorist cases and to tag people as white supremacists to meet their internal metrics. The demand for white supremacy coming from FBI headquarters vastly outstrips the supply of white supremacists, said one agent who spoke on the condition of anonymity, and I understand why you do too. We have more people assigned to investigate white supremacists than there are white supremacists out there. The agent said those driving bureau policies have already determined that white supremacy is a problem and set an agency-wide policy to elevate racially motivated domestic extremism cases And when they come up, you pop them to the top of the heap. These are priorities. We are sort of the lapdogs as the actual agents doing these sorts of investigations, trying to find a crime to fit otherwise First Amendment protected activities, he said. If they have a Gadsden flag and they own guns and they are mean at school board meetings, that means they're a domestic terrorist. The Gadsden flag is a historical American flag with a yellow field showing a timber rattlesnake in the words, Don't tread on me. It's often used as a symbol of liberty. Now, 
You won't be surprised to know that Christopher Ray's FBI denies targeting groups or people based on their espoused political views and says the Bureau focuses only on those who commit or intend to commit violence and criminal activity that constitutes a federal crime or poses a threat to national security. Here's a quote. The FBI aggressively investigates threats posed by domestic violent extremists. That's from an FBI spokesperson. We do not investigate ideology. We do not investigate particular cases based on political views of the individuals involved. The FBI will continue to pursue threats or acts of violence regardless of the underlying motivation or socio-political goal. That all sounds grand, but you and I all know, and they know we know, that is not the truth. We've got a story later that'll be one more layer of confirmation that this FBI, under Christopher Ray, under Attorney General Merrick Garland, is going after people with specific ideological persuasions. Others say the concern about the rise of extremism and white supremacist ideology is far from unfounded. Nationwide hate crimes data points to a concerning rise in racially motivated attacks in recent years. That's according to Brian Levine, who founded the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University, San Bernardino, and has been appointed to California's recently formed Commission on the State of Hate. How would you like to be the head of that commission? According to Mr. Levine's preliminary analysis of hate crime statistics pulled from 52 U.S. cities, hate crimes rose 20% in 2021, nine states breaking annual records. Last year marked an especially concerning rise in hate crime against blacks. That's according to his analysis, though anti-Asian, anti-Jewish, anti-Hispanic hate crimes added to the spike. Mr. Levine, who's an independent, said white supremacist ideology consistently motivates the most deadly hate-fueled attacks. He noted concerning rise online extremism among white supremacist groups. We have these ticking time bombs walking around like Buffalo or Mother Emanuel Church, he said, referring to mass shootings where blacks were targeted. That's something that we really have to have to address. White supremacy is absolutely something that we have to look at. It's not only a hate crime issue, but a national security issue. Furthermore, Levine said that not all of those who perpetrate hate crimes motivated by racial animus or dyed-in-the-wool extremists or that the Klan is operationally directing all white supremacy-inspired attacks. Still, he said, it's important to consider that sometimes subtle biases motivate the crimes. It's all about identity politics. The FBI agent's claims of a crusade against an inflated white supremacist and domestic extremism threat echo complaints by conservative lawmakers who accuse the Biden administration of ignoring left-wing violence and leveraging fears of right-wing terrorism to target political opponents and stifle legitimate debate. Jim Jordan, 
Representative Jim Jordan, Republican in Ohio, the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, said several whistleblowers have come forward with similar accusations that the FBI has pressured agents to open cases to fulfill the Biden administration's crusade against homegrown terrorism. I think it is what's ultimately driving his politics, Jim Jordan said. If you own a gun, display the flag, voted for Trump, the president's going to call you an extremist, and it appears the FBI is going to use the numbers to satisfy that narrative that the president laid out. White House officials last billed Thursday's summit as a stand against the corrosive effects of hate-fueled violence on our democracy and public safety. The lineup for the summit included federal, state, and local officials, along with civil rights groups, business leaders, law enforcement officials, former members of violent hate groups who now work to prevent violence. Those backing that summit cite a series of recent mass shootings motivated by racial animus, including the targeted killing in May of black shoppers at a Buffalo, New York grocery store by a self-described white supremacist. You know, one that they never put in the list of terrorist extremism where people are killed in the United States. One man in Dallas, Texas, two years ago, shot and killed five cops. Black man, white cops. Now, why isn't that included in the list? Just throwing that out there. Mr. Biden, who has often said the violence surrounding the 2017 white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, spurred his run for president in 2020, has made fighting extremism a priority for his administration. He signed into law measures to combat anti-Asian hate crimes and the nation's first gun control bill in decades after back-to-back mass shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas. As part of his efforts to stamp out hate crimes, Mr. Biden announced a sweeping strategy to deal with the threat of domestic terrorism. The Department of Homeland Security declared extremism a national threat priority. In January, the Justice Department launched a specialized unit to combat domestic terrorism. Critics say Biden's efforts have done little, if anything, to unite the country. Many Republicans warn the country is becoming further divided under this administration. Attorney General Merrick Garland, he piqued fears among conservatives of a burgeoning police state last year when he issued a memo directing federal law enforcement officials to strategize against the terrorist threat from parents protesting at local school board meetings. Now, that's a sign. He did that. He absolutely did it. We published that memo. We read it on air. The Attorney General, Merrick Garland, he called anybody that dares go to a school board meeting, public school board meeting, by the way, and wants to voice concerns about the content of what their children are being taught in these schools, if you dare do that, you're tagged as a domestic terrorist. The memo was a response to a National School Boards Association letter to the president requesting federal assistance to stop threats from parents against public school officials. Conservatives said the move weaponized the DOJ, 
to target average Americans for activities protected under the First Amendment. Republican distrust of federal law enforcement, it's just grown bigger, greater, more intense after the FBI raid of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago state in Palm Beach, Florida last month and the crackdown of Trump insiders accused of involvement in a plot to overturn the 2020 election. Mr. Biden has stoked conservatives' fears with campaign rhetoric, casting Republicans as anti-democratic extremists and labeling Mr. Trump's Make America Great Again political agenda as semi-fascism. In a nationwide survey by the Trafalgar Group and Convention of States action in the days after Biden's speech, in which he framed the midterms as a battle for the soul of the nation, 57% of respondents said the speech was a dangerous escalation in rhetoric designed specifically to incite conflict among Americans. Just 35% of those polled viewed the rhetoric as acceptable campaign messaging in an election year. Among third-party and independent voters, 62% viewed the speech as dangerous compared with 31% who said it was acceptable campaign rhetoric. Nonetheless, the White House has stood by the escalation in rhetoric, which has been echoed by groups on the left pushing for the president to take action in the face of what a consortium of civil rights leaders has deemed to be America's most precarious moment since the Jim Crow era. Civil rights leaders also cite a spike in racially motivated vandalism at places of worship. The January 6, 2021 riot at the Capitol and the ongoing push to overturn the 2020 election as evidence of a concerning rise in domestic extremism in addition to the nationwide spike in hate crimes. White supremacy is the greatest threat to the well-being of our nation. That, that's from Damon Hewitt, President and Executive Director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. In order to dismantle it, we need a bold, coordinated response. President Biden's United We Stand Summit was a critical first step towards a Marshall Plan-style approach to galvanize the type of federal resources and civil society initiative for which I and the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law have been advocating, he said. Before I, I, I wrap this up with a summary, let me just say that. You know, I'm a very conservative American. I'm a First and Second Amendment strong, strong supporter, believe totally. I believe they're both absolute. I believe we have rights that are given to us. Those two, they spell out the specifics, didn't come from our governor. Our government didn't give us those rights. We were endowed by a creator of the right to speak and the right to protect ourselves. Just thought about this before we move on to the summary. They call anybody that disagrees with Democrats and raises their voice a domestic terrorist or at least an extremist that's got to be reined back in regardless of the First Amendment. I don't know about you, but with the bitching and moaning every day about more than a billion privately owned guns across the United States, 
if I was going to participate in, yet alone lead an insurrection to overthrow an election at the Capitol back in 2021 at the Capitol that day, January 6th, I would have come to that get-together with a gun or two or three or four. I would come in with a bulletproof vest on and a helmet on and plenty of ammunition if I was going to overturn a government and overturn an election. They found one illegal gun that day. One out of thousands. Let's be perfectly clear. There certainly are white supremacists that live among us, no question about it. And I'm certain there are some who are militant and would love to obliterate those with opposing views. But I don't see any militancy or any coordinated rioting and looting by those people. I do see rioting and looting, but not by conservatives in America. I'm tired of Biden's constant retelling his version of the Charlottesville protest turned violent shortly after Trump took office. And he retold it again last week. Let's go to that lie. And it is a lie. Biden began telling this lie when he announced his bid for the 2020 Democrat Party nomination and his constant misrepresentations of Donald Trump's opinions on white supremacy. Here is what actually was said. President Trump issued three statements on the violence at Charlottesville. You can look them up. Anybody can. A smart man who's getting up in front of crowds and wants to be what he calls a uniter, who wants the truth to be out there for every American to see and hear and know, and anything opposite of the truth to be fought, he would be honest. Joe Biden lies. President Trump issued three statements. In the first one, he condemned violence on all sides, his words. In the second, he specifically condemned neo-Nazi groups, white supremacists, and the Ku Klux Klan. In the third, during a press conference, he said there had been Very fine people in Charlottesville, but he made clear he was referring to peaceful protesters. He said specifically, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. In a back and forth with a reporter, here's a quote from the president, former president. Excuse me. They didn't put themselves down as neo-Nazis. And you had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to some other name. The reporter, George Washington, and Robert E. Lee are not the same. Trump, oh no, George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down 
take down the statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down his statue? He was a major slave owner. Are we going to take down his statue? You know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. And you had people and... Then he said this, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazi and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now in the other group also, you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers. And you see them come with the black outfits and with the helmets and with baseball bats. You had a lot of bad people in that other group too. The fine people hoax has been publicly debunked over and over and over. Nevertheless, Biden repeats it over and over again. A hoax that has arguably increased hatred and disunity in the country since it falsely associates Trump supporters with neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and violent extremists poisoning political debate. And when he made that speech last week to this united united forum that he held at the White House, he said the same thing again. Double down, triple down, quadruple down on lies. What Biden has done as commander-in-chief is he's ignored the rampant violence around the nation perpetrated largely by leftist organizations. One of the biggest, one of the greatest, Black Lives Matter. Nobody dares speak out and give the truth about Black Lives Matter in fear they're going to come for you. The anti-white activist group, BLM, initiated and maintained the rioting and looting and shootings in Minneapolis that amounted to tens of millions of dollars of damages to a swath of Minneapolis that put hundreds out of work, destroyed businesses, even put many in the hospital. Similar BLM actions destroyed tens of millions of dollars to businesses on Chicago's Miracle Mile. Who can forget their march through downtown Rochester? As video documented actions the rioters took, they walked down the street, stormed into one restaurant, scaring customers to death, so they hurriedly left food on the tables, running for safety. Atlanta, Baltimore, New York City, Washington, D.C. also felt the angst of the BLM and other leftist groups. Americans are not stupid. There are some, many, who choose a ridiculous path that follows leftist rhetoric without questioning the truth of any Democrat's mantra and always represents the current leftist ideology of the day. Identity politics is Joe Biden's only tool that he feels he can use to attack conservatism in America. If he thinks Americans are so blinded by racism and hatred sufficient to swallow his racial swill, our fear for what our nation will become if conservatism does not retake control of our government. Here's my hope. No world war, no nuclear event, no foreign invasion, and no civil war will result from the hate-mongering being led and perpetrated by those in the White House at the behest of the president.
I guess we'll probably find out soon who really believes the inscription on American currency that so many Democrats despise and they want it to be removed. What is that inscription? In God we trust. God is our hope. And right now, folks, I think that's all we have. Which, to be honest with you, isn't a bad thing. God is enough. Whatever your problems are, whatever the nation's problems are, if we will turn to God and open the door for knowledge to come from outside of us to inside of us, we'll get that knowledge. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple of, couple of things. This is off the cuff. I had a, uh, and, and if you can tell hearing, um, I did the PA Friday night of a high school football game and it got pretty raucous and it was hot in the press box and it was humid in the press box and what you're hearing today is the results of Friday night on a microphone in a football stadium. Forgive me, I'm going to take a sip right now. Lubricate the vocal cords. Anyway, couple of things I'm going to tell you. What we are seeing out of our president of the United States is exactly what Germans, Germans in Germany in the last four or five years of the 1930s, what they saw happening in their nation. At that time, Germany was one of the most prosperous, the most well-structured, well-organized and street of freest nations on the planet. That's hard to believe, but they really were. And then they have this guy that comes up through the military, very well-spoken and very well-liked by his commanders and the men that uh, served under him. Adolf Hitler's who I'm talking about. Adolf Hitler came in with mantra that he used and he actually told Germans, I'm going to unite the nation. I'm going to put everybody back together. The only way we can succeed as Germans is if we unite, if we get away from the divisiveness. And the divisiveness in Germany at the time, it was not a stark contrast to what we see happening in our mixture of people from all sorts of different countries, different languages, different religions. That was what was happening in Germany. And so what was at the forefront of Hitler's uh, march to the top was to do exactly opposite of what he said he was there to do and what he wanted to do. And it's kind of like very similar to our president of the United States who has constantly said, we want to unite the nation. My goal, my objective is to unite the nation. And he said that and he still says it. And then a sentence later, he cuts half of the nation to the bone, calling us extremist, terrorist, white supremacist. His definition of white supremacy is what anybody believes and what they are 
if they disagree with him. You can't be an okay person if you disagree with him. You're immediately X'd off his okay list. The only people that are worthwhile in his world are people that agree with him hook, line, and sinker. That is exactly what Adolf Hitler did. Now, am I saying Joe Biden is the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler? No, there are a lot of differences between the two. Number one, Adolf Hitler was brilliant. In, in Joe Biden, I don't, I don't think there's a person on earth that will say Joe Biden is brilliant. But Joe Biden's not the one that is doing all of this stuff, making all of these decisions, saying the words that are coming across the teleprompter that Joe Biden is reading and many, many people think he's the one that's saying it. He hasn't written a single speech in his administration, nor in the entire time he served in the U.S. Senate. He is being handled. Those speeches, those divisive words that come out of his mouth, he didn't write them. I honestly think the real Uncle Joe is the one that tells us we've got to all get together. But then he's got to just take a hard left turn because he's committed to those who he's obligated to. And they're the ones that are speaking into those words on the teleprompter and the words that we're hearing from Joe Biden. I think he's torn. I believe Joe wants to do good, but he's so far down the line of politicization and all of the bad stuff that comes with it, the big things. If you ask somebody to do something and they do it for you, you're obligated. If they come to you and ask you to do something in exchange for something, and you do it, you're obligated. And your ability to lead is no longer yours. You gave it up to somebody else. Let me just say this. I have said this on this show before. And let me see. Let me look real quick and see where there's a list that comes up. I can see uh, the, the countries and the states from which people are logged into TNN Live. I've got a group from Australia. I don't even know what time it is in Australia, but there's there's three, one, two, there are four people in Australia that are listening live. People out on the west coast of the U.S., people in Canada, there's people in the U.K. I can't believe anybody is listening to us today in the UK because they're just wrapping up the funeral for the queen. But listen closely to what I'm saying to all of you, everybody in the US, everybody everywhere else. What you're seeing happen in the United States is the dissolution of the structure, the very foundation of this nation, and it's coming top down. It's not coming from the bottom up. This is not some type of insurrection in the making. Insurrection comes from the bottom. This is our government steering the ship towards authoritarian rule. 
There is no doubt in my mind. Have you asked this question? Why would Joe Biden say these things based upon the things he's doing? He's not doing what he says he believes in. He's, he's doing things that point to directly to authoritarianism. And Joe Biden is the one that accused and has for years Donald Trump of being authoritarian. Donald Trump not one time even attempted something when he was president that anybody could say was authoritarian. In fact, he backed away from numerous things that he wanted done because Congress didn't support it. He didn't reach out, grab a pen, and write an executive order to bypass Congress like Joe Biden has done well over 100 times. Authoritarianism is just that. Joe Biden is espousing, not so much with his mouth, but with his actions, exactly what authoritarianism is. Why am I telling you this? Let me just say this. I'm going to make a, make a prediction. If we don't get our arms around the take back of Congress in November, by next summer, midsummer, there will be blood in the streets of America because they're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and erasing our rights, taking them away, not because we gave them authority, but because they're building their power and their ability to do anything and everything they want to do at your expense, at my expense. And just like that frog in the pan of water, you've heard it all your life. If you put a pan of water on the stove but don't turn the stove on and you put that frog in the water, he'll just swim around. But if you, before you put the frog in, you have that water boiling. When the frog jumps in, he immediately jumps out. A huge segment of the American people don't know the water temperature is growing hotter and hotter and hotter. And we've been spinning, uh, uh, swimming around in the water. And we may think, oh, it is getting a little warm. But we don't understand. The water is boiling right now, and it will boil over if we let it boil over. And if that happens, folks, we will have a real civil war in the United States of America. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic DSSV shocks, so it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You want to go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? You're still the one I run. 
our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies. Not even the ones we're in together. Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes. Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have barbecue or cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! <laughs> the truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman, TNN, truthnewsnet.org. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about in this segment. This is a quote. We know this. Hate-fueled violence is born in the fertile soil of a toxic division. That's from Joe Biden at this Unity Summit last Thursday. He continued, we've got to confront the ways in which our toxic division fuels this crisis for all of us, our differences. Certainly, he said, don't turn a fellow American into a sworn enemy. He didn't mention, by the way, his recent efforts to stoke fear and anger against those who were supporters of former President Trump's movement to make America great again by calling them semi-fascist. He also didn't mention recent comments by Democrat Senate candidate in Ohio, Tim Ryan, calling for Americans to, quote, kill and confront the MAGA movement. The president urged all Americans to unite against the threat of violence and do their part to defeat it. Folks, it's not just the federal government that can act. Everyone has a role to play in this story, he said, urging people to act. He issued a long list of America's racist history, pointing to a through line of hate in the U.S., that also sparked violence against other religions. That through line of hate never fully goes away. It only hides, he said. He admitted that when he was a senator, he once believed that hate could be defeated, but said he now realized that if given enough oxygen, it would flourish once again. In the last few years, it's been given too much oxygen in our politics, in our media, and on the Internet, he said, alluding to Trump's presidency. Too much hate, all for power and profit. It's about power and profit, he said, criticizing people for allowing extremist violence to fester and grow. Now, dadgummit, I got to stop there. He has lost his freaking mind. What has he done to stop any violence anywhere in the nation? In fact, every every place there's violence that's growing. He runs over with a gas of uh, a, a can of gasoline and pours on the fire, and he fans the flames to make it grow worse. He is stoking division among Americans. Does he understand? that when he is 
two-faced with things that he says. Even sometimes in the same paragraph, he'll make a statement of unity. We've got to work together. We can't let politics divide us. We're stronger when we're together. And oh, by the way, these hate-filled Republican white supremacists, we've got to make sure they don't have a voice anymore. I know that's a stretch, but in substance, that's exactly what he's doing. Exactly what he's doing. Does anybody else but me see that? I know I'm not a lone voice in the wilderness. Jim Jordan of Ohio, he revealed last Wednesday that he got information from another FBI whistleblower that accuses the FBI of labeling a veteran-led group and others as domestic terrorists after they were found not to be a threat. I mean, this is insane. In a letter to FBI Director Christopher Ray, Jordan wrote that a whistleblower said the FBI labeled American contingency as a domestic violent extremist organization despite the FBI clearing it two years ago. The domestic violent extremism designation against American contingency is striking in light of a new whistleblower disclosure that show that the FBI had concluded as recently as 2020 the group is not a threat. A background investigation and review of Glover's social media failed to support the allegation that Glover is a threat to the U.S. or its citizens. And so the FBI responded with a letter and said the FBI does not and cannot designate domestic terrorist organizations. The FBI can never open an investigation based solely on protected First Amendment activity. We cannot and we do not investigate ideology. We focus on individuals who commit or intend to commit violence and criminal activity that constitutes a federal crime or poses a threat to national security. The FBI's mission is to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution. One does not come at the expense of the other. That's a grandiose thing to say, but that is exactly what the FBI is doing right now today. Quote, the FBI can never open investigation based solely on protected First Amendment activity. They are not supposed to. But the director on his watch has green-lighted it happening in dozens of documented cases. And it's not just now. It goes back for years. They do go after people because of ideology. If the ideology doesn't line up with this administration, that's a dog whistle for sick them. Go after those evil conservatives. That they would even consider, this attorney general would even consider pinning that memo that he penned about alerting FBI bureaus around the nation to be watching for and coordinating with local authorities to protect public school board members from those evil parents that show up at those school board meetings and basically to treat those 
parents as domestic terrorists, or at least as extremists. And if they're white, of course, they fall into the white supremacist category. It's identity politics. And identity politics is the fuel they need and that they're using today to come after any of us who disagrees with them. I promise you, the things that I said at the top of this show, somewhere in Washington, in the J. Edgar Hoover building, there went a ding, 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 ding. Newman's out there. We got to watch Newman. Listen to what he said. On the American Contingency website, it says it's an organization that is meant to provide assistance during natural disasters and similar situations. It also says Glover is a former U.S. Army Green Beret. Mike Glover is a veteran doing good work out there. But some woke analyst at the FBI says, we're going to investigate this guy. If you display the flag, if you own a gun, you voted for Trump, you're somehow in that category that Joe Biden says are extremist or even fascist. Jordan also quoted the whistleblower in his letter to FBI Director Ray, in which the unnamed individual accuses an FBI employee of embracing leftist politics. It doesn't take a First Amendment scholar to realize what is protected speech and what isn't. It seems clear that this is an instance where an FBI employee reported something because it didn't align with their own woke ideology. And that's what the whistleblower said. I think this is a primary example of how woke and corrupt the FBI has become. Now, I'm not giving you these details. I'm not talking to you about these specific circumstances to get you riled up to sit on your hands. If you don't speak up and say something, who will? And if now is not the time to stand up and speak something, when? And if we don't do it, you watch what happens. I'm going to tell you this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I watched the movie documentary several times, 2,000 Mules. I went to see it at a, at a premiere in Shreveport, Louisiana. I was blown away by it. I knew it was out there. I've also seen and documented multiple cases in multiple courts in several states, at least 13 states, that proved there was voting fraud in the 2020 election. And the woke folks, they don't cover it. They don't talk about it. It's like if we don't talk about it, it's like it's not there. Guys, have you ever had an argument with your wife? Or you get crossways with your wife and you want to open up the conversation to get it resolved and she doesn't want to? So why doesn't she want to? Very few people like to get in the faces of others. There are some people that love it. I'm one of those people, I will not walk away from a controversy. If it needs to be addressed, I will address it. I'll do it very calmly. I'll have conversations with facts. But there's a whole segment of our society that lives their lives with this thought in their back of the of their mind. If I don't talk about it, it's like it's not there. I don't have to deal with it. Yeah, in this case, we're all going to deal with it. And if we don't do something about it, we're all going to deal with that too. 
And I can promise you this, the results of dealing with it are not, they are not going to be pleasant. I'm leaving this topic. I could stay here all day. And I think some of you out there, you'd be okay with that. But I think we've laid down where we are. And I believe you and everybody else listening in today understands we are in dire straits. And that's not a body of water between two islands or anything, dire straits. It's a political quagmire. And we have a top-down government that is ratcheting down on the American people, on the rights and liberties they think they give to us. That's not the way it works. But as long as we don't push back, they're going to keep doing it. I promise you. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please? I'm here for the most wanted. Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known as the Western Whopper. Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. it's time that uh, we move on away from that conversation. That's always going to be the 900-pound gorilla in the room. But there's another pretty good-sized gorilla in the room right now, and what would that be? It would be a flood of illegals. I'm talking about human beings, but also drugs, all kinds of smuggling of people, of goods and services, of drugs, etc., coming across our southern border. And this president and everybody in his administration, they are walking away from their oaths of office to protect and defend and protect the laws in the Constitution and the legally passed laws that were passed in the structure dictated by the Constitution. That, of course, would be Congress. There's no pushback against illegals being in this nation illegally. There's no pushback against Uh, against gangs that are flooding our southern border with opioids that are killing record numbers of Americans just because we're allowing it, at least our administration is allowing it to come across the United States. And so what argument, what argument do they push back on? And this, last week, I just watched it and I laughed my butt off all week long. They, the left, the Biden administration, are going crazy because Ron DeSantis sent a plane to Texas and picked up 
48 illegals, actually two planes, 48 illegals, and took them to Martha's Vineyard and dropped them off there. You would think, you would think the world is coming apart because of that. The threats are from everywhere, every corner. Nobody's being honest about it. Mainstream media, they're excoriating these Republicans that are standing up finally and saying, look, you did it. You in the dark of night, you flew illegals that you picked up at the southern border and you took them and put them out of planes all over the nation. You did it. You're the president of the United States. If you okay it for you to do it, we're going to do it too. And then you have this nut job that all he wants to do is run for president in 2024 on the Democrat ticket. California Governor Newsom. And he actually wrote a letter to the Department of Justice asking the DOJ to investigate what Governor Greg Abbott from Texas and Ron DeSantis of Florida, what they did was human trafficking. The stupidest thing I've ever heard this guy say, and he has said some stupid things. It's all because of one thing and one thing only. Joe Biden refuses to enforce the rule of law. He not only allows his Department of Homeland Security to open the gates and let them come in, he encourages them to come in. He doesn't go after the drug cartels that are not just sending drugs across the border. They're controlling the flow of illegals across the border. A lot of these illegals coming from countries and islands all around the globe, not from Central America. And now here's something that's interesting. Um, Republicans aren't the only ones that are sending these illegals to cities like New York and Chicago and Washington, D.C. Democrat leaders are doing the same thing. But isn't it interesting? Nobody's saying anything about the Democrats doing it. Those Democrats, oh, those governors, those mayors, they're good people, honest good people. But if somebody else that has an R behind their names dares to do something that the President of the United States did and thought it was okay, they should be investigated and prosecuted for their illegal activity. Martha's Vineyard cheered for the illegal immigrants as they shipped them out of their community to Cape Cod after 50 of them arrived from Florida. But why didn't celebrities like the Obamas open up their homes on Martha's Vineyard to house them? The former president and several other high-profile Democrats who own homes are remaining silent. Other residents were in a frenzy over the migrants' arrival last week but didn't want to house them. I worry that people say, hey, they sent these people to Martha's Vineyard and Martha's Vineyard got rid of them. No, we didn't get rid of them. We okay. took care of them. Okay. You know, okay. I think getting rid of them is a little harsh. You know, this is not like the best place for them to start fresh because yeah. there's, there's no place to live here. There's like, it's housing is bad. and yeah. There's uh, more vacation homes here than anywhere in America. 55% of the homes really? here are vacation homes. I did not homes. know that. Yeah. 
And while the Democrat mayor from El Paso continues to send migrant buses to New York and doesn't get criticized, the Democrat mayor from New York City is slamming Governors Abbott and DeSantis for not coordinating with him, even though he turned down invitations to go see the conditions at the border for himself. Uh, it is time for us to coordinate. I believe it's a crisis that needs more coordination for, from our country. Uh, you know, this is one country. They refuse to do any form of coordination. We should do it in a coordinated uh, method. Coordination during a crisis is something that we must do together. And that's the federal government. That, are, that is also uh, the governor of the state of Texas, as well as the governor, governor of the state of Florida. Uh, we should not be... Uh, really treating other cities and municipalities in the manner that we're witnessing now. Well, I think one of the most impressive things on in that interview is how many times he said coordinated. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Anita, I want to start with you. First of all, I think Michael Goodwin's put it very well in the New York Post recently. Mm -hmm. he, he essentially said they're calling out the Democrats' hypocrisy. And what he said was, in quote, by transporting migrants, GOP governors are exposing Democrats' hypocrisy. That's mm -hmm. the title. The Dems running with New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and, yes, Martha's Vineyards are being hoisted on their own petard. They supported virtually unfettered immigration, but didn't bargain on thousands of the world's unwashed popping up in their neighborhoods. Their hypocrisy is the thing to behold, and the GOP governors deserve an award for delivering a comeuppance for the ages. Now, you know, it is interesting, Anita, because if you go back to about 2016, uh, former President Obama, who has a very lovely vacation home in Martha's Vineyard, mm. this is what he had to say about immigration. Okay. Take a listen. America is a nation of immigrants. That's our strength. And the notion that somehow we would stop now on what has been a tradition of attracting talent and strivers and dreamers from all around the world, uh, that, that would rob us of the thing that is most special about America. So immigration and immigrants are very special to America. And President Obama likes to tweet about a lot of things that he finds important. He tweets about the Inflation Reduction Act, about overturning of Roe. He tweeted about the Queen's death. But we have heard nothing um, on immigration, especially as these migrants have gone to where he has a vacation home. Why not? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, he does love to talk about uh, immigration. And Jason and I were talking earlier about how really this, how this free flow of immigrants across the border started during his administration. But the interesting thing about Martha's Vineyard is of all the celebrities that have homes there, and we showed them on the screen, his is particularly interesting. He has a $12 million sprawling estate. And remember, just last year, he had a huge birthday bash for him. Himself. Remember when he turned 60 and he had so many guests and this was sort of during COVID that he had to scale back the number of guests because he was getting criticized for having too many. So it's interesting. Uh, there was one person who spoke to the Daily Mail who lives on Martha's Vineyard and she told the paper that she felt that Obama should open up his home to some of these immigrants. She pointed out, though, when she went to visit his house, this is what she saw. She said there were signs that said private property, no trespassing, do not come in, and the police are patrolling. So I guess uh, the immigrants didn't feel too welcome over there. I mean, I'm sure he has like one or two guests guest rooms in that house. What about his front lawn? <laughs> they can put up a tent, I guess. Right, Tyrus? So, Tyrus, uh, Mayor Oscar Leeser, he's a Democratic mayor of El Paso, Texas, um, talking about sending migrants to New York. Take a listen to what he had to say. 
The people are not coming to El Paso, they're coming to America. And, and that's something that's really important. We have about 50% of the people today that do not have a sponsor, they don't have money, so we're helping and working to get them to where they want to go. So, Tyrus, you have the mayor saying we're going to ship the people to New York City. That's where they want to go. You have Mayor Adams of New York City saying Let, let's coordinate. Let them come here. But, Tyrus, one thing is the homelessness crisis of New York City has reached an all-time high, one that hasn't been seen since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Just this summer, you had about 52,000 homeless people in New York City alone, 17,000 of them children. Don't you think Mayor Adams should focus on the people who elected him to represent him instead of focusing on some of these more political moves? No, because it's a lot easier to fight the invisible monster. And I think in defense of the celebrities at Martha's Vineyard, they were staffed up already. So you, it's the off season. So they were already staffed. So they're, of course, they didn't have any, any room for any other. And I'd just like to say to the lady who was saying there was no place for them to live, she was literally standing in front of six tents. There was six tents and hotels all on that street where she was selling goods to tourists. So just want to put out out there. But uh, yeah, of course, he should be doing something. Thing. But when you, there's a little, I'm learning this, I'm learning, the more and more I'm on TV, the more I study politics, all you really have to do is say something three times, and then it doesn't matter what the question is. So, like, you know, coordinate, you want to coordinate, because when I think coordinate, I'm talking about like the inside, but see how I coordinated that with this, with the two, that's coordination, you know what I'm saying, that's how you coordinate, I'm coordinated. So I think he meant the same thing, like, we all need to coordinate. Whom? You won't go coordinate a trip to Texas to see what they're talking about. You won't coordinate anything for the homeless people. So I don't think he understands what the word coordinate means other than because everyone knows he's a sharp dresser because all those events he likes to go to, the brothers always coordinate. What we're seeing firsthand is the entry into American society of okaying authoritarian leadership. In other words, forget about the written law, forget about the Constitution, forget about the structure, forget about the first 10 amendments of the Constitution. I'm in leadership. I'm the president. I can just abide by whatever of those that I choose, and you must listen to me, and if I tell you we're not going to abide by that, that's the way it's going to be. You can't do anything about it. Let me tell you what they did on Friday. They upped the craziness on this stuff. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre during the Daily Briefing Friday said, these are the kinds of tactics we see from smugglers in places like Mexico and Guatemala. You know what she's talking about? She's talking about Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, sending groups of migrants to Washington, D.C., and now Martha's Menyard, which prompted Jean-Pierre to compare them to human traffickers. She unleashed a torrent of attacks against the governors, accusing them of sowing chaos and division by transporting migrants, which she called abhorrent and inhumane. They used them as political pawns, treated them like chattel in a cruel, premeditated political stunt, she said. Jean-Pierre said Republican governors were playing a dangerous game in order to create political theater instead of trying to solve the problems. This is dangerous. They're putting children's lives at risk. The insanity and the incredible, nauseous way that she presented that, that is this administration. Facts don't matter. Law doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter. 
political ideology is the way they run everything. She didn't address the immediate problem of migrants flooding across the southern border. She didn't offer any solutions to overcrowding issues. She refused to say why the Biden administration did not support an organized effort to move migrants safely out of overwhelmed border areas and blame Republican governors instead. She said this, this could end if they could stop playing that game and stop creating chaos. She also didn't respond to pointed reminders that the Biden administration had already transported migrants secretly to New York City overnight, multiple times, reported over and over and over and over again. She didn't say anything about the mayor of El Paso sending busloads of migrants to Chicago and New York City. Why didn't she gripe about that? He's a Democrat. Democrats can do it. And if Democrats want to do it, it's okay. If anybody else tries it, oh my gosh, you're evil. You're a lawbreaker. You're a racist. You're suborning the rule of law. You're kicking it out. NBC News. They quoted a member of a foundation that assists refugees who compared the migrants who landed in Martha's Vineyard this week to trash. Deleted that. It was a tweet. The corporate media outlet posted an article about how the migrants, who are primarily Venezuelan, are dividing the Venezuelan America community. Florida Governor DeSantis sending asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard is like me taking my trash out and just driving to different areas where I live and just throwing my trash there. That's from a founding member of a foundation that helps refugees. The quote came from Max Leffield, a Venezuelan-American advertising executive who spoke candidly about Governor DeSantis' decision to send migrants to the sanctuary destination of Martha's Vineyard. However, NBC deleted the tweet after getting backlash. Didn't think that went through, did you? Breitbart News' Christina Wong tweeted after the outlet NBC deleted its tweet. After realizing this tweet made their political allies look horrific, NBC News deleted it. Molly Hemingway tweeted that. Although the tweet comparing migrants to trash was deleted, the quote remains prominently featured in the article's second paragraph. No worries. Quote and story are still there. You see what I'm talking about? It has nothing to do with facts. It has nothing to do with the law. It has nothing to do with oath of office. NBC's story on the migrants' impact on the Venezuelan-American community came after DeSantis sent 48 migrants to Martha's Vineyard. States like Massachusetts, New York, and California will better facilitate the care of these individuals who they have invited into our country by incentivizing illegal immigration through their designation as sanctuary states and sanctuary cities and support for the Biden administration's open border policies. That came from Ron DeSantis' communication director, Taryn Finsky. (laughs) And by the way, tons of summer homes are empty today 
as Martha Vineyard starts urgent GoFundMe for immigrants. And guess what? People started giving money. And guess what happened? The GoFundMe page, not a dime went to those immigrants. In fact, Martha's Vineyard basically kicked those immigrants out and they took them away from Martha's Vineyard. And this organization kept that money, that GoFundMe money. Didn't use it. Didn't need it. They got rid of their uh, <laughs> their problem. Mayor Eric Adams of New York, he pointed out exactly the reason for DeSantis and Abbott doing what they did. On CNN's State of the Union yesterday, Mayor Adams said Governor Greg Abbott Ron DeSantis were sending migrants to cities like his to cover up their state's laws on abortion and guns. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard come out of this guy's mouth. You can't talk about the truth. You can't face the facts. You're a leader. So what do you have to say? You've got to turn something, anything that makes you look like a fool. You attack somebody else. So people will look over there. I cannot believe this guy was elected to run the city of New York. He said, I think it's a message for the entire country. These are two governors who are hiding up some of the actions they've done around gun control, which is really a proliferation in our country with guns. It's what they did with the women's right to choose. You see, this is their way of covering up what many people have been really concerned about, the erosions of basic human rights. Both of those things, Mr. Adams, Mr. Mayor of New York, the biggest city in the United States of America, the gun stuff, the abortion stuff, guess what, sir? These governors didn't say a word about it, or if they said a word, it didn't matter. The United States Supreme Court, they are the ones that set and confirmed what the Constitution says about the Second Amendment, and about abortion. You don't have a beef with these governors. You have a beef with the rule of law that you swore an oath to. And by the way, you were a lifelong policeman in New York City. You know how it works. So why, sir, don't you just demand that your law enforcement in New York City abide by the rule of law? Why don't you demand that stinking horrible prosecutor in Manhattan that wants to let every terrorist, every murderer go loose without any bail, why don't you make him start dealing with the rule of law and the laws that were passed by law enforcement legislators for New York City? Instead, you want to throw shade at Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott? How stupid can you make yourself live? Look. And here's another thing out of the Martha's Vineyard thing. Business owners on the island, Martha's Vineyard, they spent years begging for more mass immigration to the U.S. Why would they want that? They need people to fill their summer jobs, and they want them filled with foreign workers. The reaction to just 0.001% of the nation's border crisis arriving on the doorsteps of Martha's Vineyards. The residence comes after business owners spent years 
pleading with the feds to import more foreign workers so they could fill jobs. At some point in time, they've got to move from here to somewhere else. We don't have the services to take care of 50 immigrants. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. We don't have housing. We're in a housing crisis as we are on this island, so we can't house everyone here that lives here and works here. We don't have housing for 50 more people. That's nuts, folks. The summer's over. A huge percentage of housing in Martha's Vineyard is vacant. Here's the deal. They want to sound politically correct. They want to appear to be feeling sensitive, caring people. But when it comes time and they're confronted with it, oh my gosh, then the facts come out. The facts come out. Here's what's really going on. Here's what we really think. We don't want those dirty immigrants in our place. Put them somewhere else. We have a lot of wealthy people that own property here. By the way, former president owns 16 acres on the water here. He's got room to build a tent city for migrants. Don't talk about President Obama and his 16 acres. He's a climate change freak. He's talking about the oceans are going to swamp land around the world, and he buys a 16-acre spread in Martha's Vineyard. No telling how much he paid for it and how much it's worth. And it's on the water. So I guess that means he's really not scared of climate change. There is so much hypocrisy in the Democrat Party and the far left. And every day they're exposing their illegitimacy, their ideological name game and disunity that they know, they feel, they're after authoritarian rule in the United States. Why? Because they know, because they got a little money, got a little fame, a little reputation, they're going to be okay because they're part of the in crowd. It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup, like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone, or the not-so-compact compact SUV, the Tiguan, and the always popular Jetta and Passat. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53. <laughs> I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. 
Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. During the break, I opened a couple of texts to me from friends, and they both said, you sound like you're about to blow a top. <laughs> you need to lighten up a little bit, Dan. I know, I know. Yeah, I, I am an emotional person, and uh, I'm in most situations. I can handle that, and people around, they don't know exactly what I feel about any particular thing. I'm very social. I'm socially conscious, and I get all that. But, folks, I just cannot accept something so egregious as what we are seeing play out right now in our nation. It's incredible. It's incredible. I just don't get it. I can't sit by idly not saying anything about it. It goes back to this. They're griping because Texas and Florida or sending any illegals anywhere else that they're just supposed to take care of it down there. Those Texans, no, they're not. The Constitution plainly sets the sole responsibility of immigration in the United States is that of the federal government. And they put out the word, they being the Biden administration, when Governor Greg Abbott said, hey, look, if the feds aren't going to do anything about it, we're going to shut our border. And you know what came out of D.C.? Don't you dare. You have no authority, and we'll take you on. Does that not sound like a threat to try to incite violence from an entire state? Does the Biden administration want there to be physical war in the state of Texas against the federal government? Mr. President, why don't you just enforce the law? Why don't you fire Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, because he's not doing his job, the job that he swore an oath to. Why don't you fire Christopher Ray, FBI director, who's doing the same thing? He's suborning all kinds of illegal activity in the FBI, and he's covering up scads of it. And then why don't you fire whoever is making a decision about letting horrible criminals that have been deported back into the U.S., and they're perpetrating crimes, like a guy in Fairfax County, Virginia, Juan Rodriguez Alfaro. He's a 42-year-old illegal from Honduras. He was arrested last week and charged that he carried out multiple sexual assaults on women and girls on a nature trail in Fairfax County. Cops said he's linked to at least 21 sexual assaults in the area, and in some cases, they said he was walking around naked. Before he was arrest, arrested in a separate 2021 case, he was wanted for attempted rape and sexual assault in Suffolk County, New York, another sanctuary jurisdiction. In that case, the police in Suffolk County said Afaro attacked a woman who was jogging, tried to rape her. He was allegedly wearing only a tank top at the time. And at that time, the sexual assault in New York, he had been deported from the U.S. three times, according to officials in the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Agency. 
Just like New York State, Fairfax County has sanctuary policies on the books that prevent local law enforcement from turning criminal illegal aliens over to ICE agents for arrest and deportation. Alfaro remains in police custody in Fairfax County. ICE officials have filed a detainer to request that he be turned over to their custody if he's released at any time. Fairfax County officials, as a result of their sanctuary policies, are going to deny the request to turn him over. Oh my gosh. And there's more news coming out of this illegal immigration stuff. Dagan, Fox News Business. I like what she has to say most of the time. And she was spot on in this segment. After ignoring the border crisis for years, liberal media outlets are slamming Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for sending two planes of migrants to Martha's Vineyard. MSNBC host Chris Hayes tweeted, deeply, deeply sick and dehumanizing to fling human beings somewhere vindictively. Washington Post columnist Max Boots saying DeSantis, quote, heartlessness and cynicism is hard to exaggerate. And Keith Oberman calling the migrant flights human trafficking. Again, reading some talking points. Joe Concha is here. That human trafficking. So by uh, it, based on facts, then Joe Biden's a human trafficker as well because they've done the same thing, flying migrants in the, under the cover of night to places like New York State. That's right, Westchester, in the middle of the night, or to Florida. So this has been going on for 18 months under this administration, and now suddenly these folks care. If they cared so much, by the way, about the well-being of illegal migrants, Dagan, then they really should pay attention to this report that just came out from DHS. At least 750 migrants have died trying to cross into the U.S. You compare that to the year before when the number was only 200. Right. And many of that was from heat exposure. People are drowning right now. Women, children, 19,000 search and rescues by Border Patrol agents alone. They're risking their lives as well. So Ron DeSantis, he's playing chess here. Democrats and our allies in the media, they're playing checkers. The hypocrisy is now out in the open. They're actually finally covering this story, although not from the angle. That Other networks expect. are at Martha's Vineyard because that's where the story is. Yeah. Until, like, until recently, you couldn't find another television reporter from a cable network down at the southern border. That's been the story. That is the story, not Martha's Vineyard. But but they're doing, the media and the Democrats are doing exactly what Governor Abbott in particular expected them to do, mm-hmm. that you have to put illegal migrants at their doorstep for them to start up being upset about what is a runaway crisis. It's a financial hardship mm-hmm. for anybody and everybody across the southern border, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. Again, more than four million people will have crossed into this country in the first two years of this presidency alone. Put that number into perspective. We're talking about nearly six times the population of Boston, Massachusetts, not too far from Martha's Vineyard. So at this point, look, the story has actually moved off of Martha's Vineyard. Those migrants have already been moved to Cape Cod in a military base there. So apparently Martha's Vineyard couldn't handle what so many Texas and Arizona towns have to deal with a thousand times more each day. I call this age squared. With the hypocrisy always comes hyperbole. Here's a new day on CNN. All of your documentaries are about history. Yeah. But all of them also make you think about where we are now. And we woke up to the news this morning that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida sent two plane loads 
of migrants uh, to Martha's Vineyard, including kids and whatnot. And I'm not saying this is not a one-for-one. One. This is not a parallel here in any way. But it does address some of the same themes that are part of this documentary. What? How, the Holocaust? That was hyperbole on steroids, and John Berman should know a lot better. I guess that's why he's losing his job on New Day and, and being demoted. Uh, when, when you, people, whenever they talk about the Holocaust, probably haven't read about the Holocaust. How, how Jews, they weren't just exterminated right away. They worked until they couldn't physically do it anymore, and they didn't give any value to the Nazis, and then they were exterminated. And you're comparing this to that? I'm sorry, I don't get angry very often, but screw you, John Berman. That, that is the worst analogy you could possibly use, and it's an insult to every single person that lost a family member in that horrible Holocaust. He could call one of my best friends whose dad was in a Daimler-Benz work camp while the remainder of his family were exterminated at Treblinka and uh, maybe get a little bit of an education about what the Holocaust was really about. Yeah. Again, Martha's Vineyard such a hardship. But the people there wanted those migrants gone as quickly as possible. They can't possibly stay here, said a woman. They took the sanctuary on, out of sanctuary. Right. The great Biden interview drought. Joe Concha yeah. has come to an end 60 minutes tweeting that it will air a sit down interview Sunday to kick off the 55th season of 60 minutes The show teasing it'll cover the economy midterms and the war in Ukraine by Sunday Biden will have gone 219 days without a sit down interview White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre defended the president when asked about it last week he's only been interviewed 22 times between taking office in January 2021 and May of this year at the same point in his term, President Trump had sat down for 90 interviews with the media. And I know that President Obama sat down for even more than that. Yeah. 187, uh, 187 I think, There's, for there's a reason Obama. why, Dagan, he's going on 60 Minutes, because it's a taped interview. So many gaps or anything, they, they could be edited out. And, and here's the framing here from 60 Minutes' uh, Twitter feed. President Joe Biden tells 60 Minutes what went into the deal that stopped the nationwide railroad strike, unquote. Oh, so that's going to be the focus. That's amazing timing, by the way, that Joe Biden sat down with Scott Pelley on the very day that this crisis no one even heard about before this week was averted here. Look, this is going to be a fixed fight. This is not the 60 minutes that we grew up with. We saw that with Leslie Stahl when President Trump insisted to investigate the Hunter Biden story. And she said, there's no there there. There was a there there. So there was we know what to expect. And uh, President Obama, um, President Biden blithely lied to George Stephanopoulos last year during that Horrific sit down. Joe Concha, thank you so much. Great to see you. Great to see you. Nobody cares. Nobody calls President Biden for lying. I mean, he's got a sordid history lying all the time. Story after story after story are debunked. People in his own administration and family are embarrassed because of his lies. But everything you hear, everything coming out of the White House, everything coming out of Joe Biden's mouth, you can pretty much take your perspective should begin at this point. He's not telling the truth. My son, Hunter, you've heard about that new movie that's out there. It's a fact-based dramatization of the life of debauchery and corruption lived by the first son, Hunter Biden, and it pretends the involvement of the Hunter family syndicate. Although the movie takes certain artistic liberties, Many scenes portray true accounts of the Biden's scion's life. This true fact series is going to detail those accuracies. Here's one fact that's presented in the movie. Hunter Biden sat on the board of Ukrainian energy company Burisma, 
while his then-vice president father happened to be in charge of what? U.S. policy toward Ukraine. Hunter joined the board of Burisma, 2014. His dad was described as the public face of the administration's handling of Ukraine. Hunter got a salary of a little over $83,000 a month from Burisma during the time his father was vice president. That's according to documents. That salary, the documents, by the way, were on Hunter's laptop from hell. That salary was cut in half in 2017 when his daddy left office. A 2016 State Department email from a top state official in Kiev to Washington raised alarm about this conflict of interest, saying Hunter's seat on the board undercut U.S. policy in Ukraine. The real issue was that someone in Washington needed to engage the vice president quietly and poke the VP saying that his son Hunter's presence on the Burisma board undercut the anti-corruption message that Vice President Biden was advancing in Ukraine. That's from former U.S. Embassy official George Kent. It was reported in 2021 by Politico, a leftist rag, that a Democrat lobbying firm linked to Hunter and Burisma Blue State Strategies was being probed by the Department of Justice for potential illegal lobbying. Blue Star Strategies had been responsible for passing along leaked White House conference calls to Burisma, while Joe was vice president, according to documents retrieved from Hunter's laptop from Hill. Hunter is the subject of a brand new narrative film, My Son Hunter, marking Breitbart's, uh, Breitbart's expansion into film distribution. It's out there. And you can get it online. I encourage you to take a look at it. I got to be honest with you. If not anything on it is true, it's a great movie because it's got all kind of corruption in it. Pretty much everything that you can imagine you would want from a tell-all movie about any government officials. It's there. And the tell-all stuff is all true. (laughs) That even makes it better. So with all of this irony going on now, Migrants, illegal migrants, immigrants, whatever you want to call them, aliens. That's the word used in the Constitution, aliens. With all that going on, there's just so much information that's out there. And you've got Joe Biden, who claims to be the president of the most open-armed nation on the planet. And then he doesn't do what necessarily needs to be done to fix the problem. Listen, there's only one way to fix this problem. Nothing that's being done now is going to fix the problem about illegals flooding the nation, about thousands of Americans dying from fentanyl that comes across the border with these smugglers, and in many cases, fentanyl's designed to even look like candy. Biden's not doing anything about it. Alejandro Mayorkas is not doing anything about it. The two-sided policy of this administration is not going to reduce the inflow of these migrants. That's according to Mark Krikorian, the director of the Center for Immigration Studies. If you're inviting illegal immigrants, going after the smugglers isn't going to help. The agency's unofficial two-sided policy, jobs for migrants, jail for coyotes, 
was spotlighted by competing September 13th press releases from the Homeland Security chief. The agency is run by Biden's zealously pro-immigration, Cuban-born border chief, Alejandro Mayorkas. The first DH statement was headlined, quote, DHS hosts the five-country ministerial meeting in Washington, D.C., and said agency officials talked about the importance of helping poor people migrate to jobs without relying on criminal networks. The five ministers discussed the need to partner to expand lawful pathways for regular migration, thereby fulfilling critical labor needs while addressing disadvantaged persons' hope for a better life. They redoubled their commitment to end the scourge of forced labor and human trafficking. Now, that's done a whole lot. (laughs) Why even sponsor this meeting when you're not going to abide by it? You have no intention of abiding by it. The second statement was headlined, DHS and DOJ announced significant enforcement operation. And here's what it said. In April, the Biden administration launched a first-of-its-kind effort, unprecedented in scale, to disrupt and dismantle these human smuggling networks. DHS has committed over $50 million and surged over 1,300 personnel in Latin America and along the southwest border to bolster efforts through JTFA, Operation Sentinel, and others. Now, neither statement promised to enforce the laws that protect Americans from companies' replacement hiring of coyote-delivered foreign workers. Instead, statements promised to protect the illegals from the people they hire to get into U.S. jobs, those coyotes and cartels. They're saying, hey, come on in. We're going to fight the bad people that brought you here, the ones you agreed to and you've already paid a fortune, the ones that are bringing your baby girls and your wives and those women you love and along the way they're raping in them and just ad nauseum. We are unwavering in our commitment and sending a strong message. If you manipulate and imperil and take advantage of struggling migrants, we're coming for you. That's according to Deputy DH Secretary John Tian. The agency strives to be flexible, to be adaptable, and to think outside the box when it comes to disrupting these criminal organizations, protecting migrants from harm. That's Deputy Commissioner Troy Miller of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The Justice Department will continue to bring our full resources to bear to combat the human smuggling and trafficking groups that endanger our communities, abuse and exploit migrants, and threaten our national security. That one came from the guy, Attorney General Merrick Garland. So let me just boil it down to this. They're claiming all kind of crap. They're doing nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing to stop it to stop the cartels, the drug smuggling, the money laundering, the human smuggling, to stop it, shut the illegal immigration down. That's what the law says should be done, and that's what every one that I just quoted in this one is about. They all swore an oath to do just that. They're not doing their job. And they have the kahunas, 
to look over their shoulder and blame everything that's happening at the southern border on Donald Trump when the reality is, and tens of millions of Americans know that it was so, Donald Trump had cut illegal immigration to a drizzle at the southern border, like no southern border enforcement that had ever been done in modern history. And people in Texas... They loved it. People in New Mexico and California and Arizona, they loved it. Who didn't love it? The people making millions of dollars from illegals. The people in D.C. that are part of the Democrat National Committee that see their their party membership dwindling away, eroding. They need to replace it. They've got to find ways to get people that will support them. They get them legal, get them citizenship, give them the right to vote so they can perpetuate permanent one-party rule in the U.S. government. It's called authoritarianism. That's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. Now, on that 60 Minutes thing, it was on last night. Did you see or hear it? He said yesterday, on 60 Minutes, the president did, and this blew my hair off my head. I don't have any. He said he's not concerned about his son Hunter Biden's behavior in any way. The CBS guy interviewing him, Scott Pelley, said this. Hunter has been a lightning rod for suspicion. Hunter Biden's former addiction to crack cocaine led to a life he describes as nonstop depravity. He has also acknowledged a federal investigation into his taxes. Congress investigated Hunter Biden's job with the Ukrainian company at the time that his father ran Ukrainian policy in the Obama administration. A Republican investigation, however, uncovered no wrongdoing by then-Vice President Biden. So Pelley asked, Mr. President, if you run again, Republicans are most likely to go after your son Hunter once again. I wonder what you would like to say about your son and whether any of his troubles have caused conflicts for you or for the United States. Biden said this, and listen closely. I'm going to read it the way Joe Biden probably said it. I love my son, number one. He fought an addiction problem. He overcame it. He wrote about it. And no, there's not a single thing I've observed at all that would affect me or the United States relative to my son, Hunter. Now, we told you about the new film, My Son, Hunter. Hunter Biden is the feature of every part of that movie. Let me just say this. Hunter Biden, if he's not done anything else but this, his actions overseas, meeting with Chinese Communist Party yuppity-yups, getting involved with their number one energy company, flying over there with his dad on Air Force Two, being presented to these people as the son of the sitting vice president of the United States, and those people writing a check for a billion, five hundred million dollars for Hunter Biden to invest through his investment company that he never had any experience doing investments for anybody before. And they gave him a billion, five hundred million dollars. If that's not enough to prove there were shenanigans going on, then I'm not a bald-headed, fat American. 
That's how I really feel about it. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. In what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here it to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh... Jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. Man, what a, what a soothing song. Michael McDonald, Doobie Brothers. My favorite artist used to be, uh, I had a smooth jazz artist that was my favorite, but uh, Michael McDonald, I don't know. There's just something about that deep, deep, deep voice and the way that uh, his emotion comes through in the songs that he sings. I just like that. Got a few things to uh, wrap up that we need to. Part of that CBS 60 Minutes report was about our U.S. military and what we would do to defend Taiwan if there were an unprecedented attack from China. The anchor Scott Pelley said this, On the same day we spoke to the president, Vladimir Putin met with China's leader Xi Jinping. There's concern that Russia's attempt to force reunification with Ukraine could inspire China to attack the island of Taiwan. U.S. policy since 1979 has been to recognize Taiwan as part of China, but remain silent on whether the U.S. military would defend the democratic government there in Taiwan. This is among the places where our interview runs into controversy. Pelly asked, 
What should Chinese President Xi know about your commitment to Taiwan? Biden said, we agree with what we signed onto a long time ago and that there's a one-China policy. Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We're not moving. We're not encouraging their being independent. That's their decision. Pelly said, but would U.S. forces defend the island? Biden said, yes, if, in fact, there was an unprecedented attack. Pelly said, after our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan, but the commander-in-chief had a view of his own. Now, did you get that? Biden was asked point blank, would U.S. forces defend the island? This is a quote. Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. And so then a White House official calls and tries to soften what the president said. And he softened it by adding this little tagline. But the commander-in-chief had a view of his own. I would think a commander-in-chief of any nation, especially our nation, when he expresses something regarding military, uh, what the military, our military would do or not do, he is the commander-in-chief. He's the one that would decide if we bombed or not. And he said, this is for the record, you're not hearing anybody out there talking about this, but Joe Biden threatened Xi Jinping and China if they do anything to take over Taiwan. Wow, 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 wow. You know who Bill Maher is. Bill Maher is a loudmouth, small guy, has an HBO show that is very well watched. He claimed, Maher did, that parents are so scared of their kids being indoctrinated by critical race theory and transgender ideology in America's school, they'll vote for former President Trump despite thinking he's a creep. The comedian and host of Real Time with Bill Maher, he made the remarks during the latest segment of his recorded post-show discussion titled Overtime, which was posted to HBO Max and YouTube on Friday. During a 15-minute-long panel, Bill Maher and his guest, country music singer Trace Atkins, journalist Julia Loffey, and historian John Meacham, that left-wing propaganda is so predatory towards American school children, parents will be forced to vote for Trump if he runs again. Towards the end of the discussion, Loffey, she observed that Trump's negative aspects weren't bad enough for people to dissuade them from voting for him. Maher responded saying that voting for or against Trump depends on what your priority is. He gave his, stating this, to me, the two biggest issues are democracy and the environment. Those are my two big, one and two. He then gave the perspective of parents of public school kids, arguing that many of them would vote for Trump because the threat to their kids from propaganda is worse than his flaws. But I don't have kids, Maher said. I know people who say, I have kids and I don't like it, When they come home and say, uh, they divided the class today into oppressors and the oppressed. And if I change my sex, I don't have to tell my parents. There's crap like that going on, the host declared, referencing critical race theory 
and gender theory finding its way into public school lesson plans. And he wasn't done. He also said, makes me, people go, you know, I agree. Donald Trump is a creep. He has everything wrong that can be stuffed into one man. But I have these other considerations. That's all Marr declared. He then admonished Trump-opposed liberals who refused to empathize with perspective he just gave. And that's why you seem like you have such contempt for half the country. I don't think that's going to get us where we need to go. He subsequently remarked on the current political divide in America, asking this, I think we crossed this line, and now the question is, how do we walk it back? How do we walk it back from, I hate you so much that I can't live with you? And when we have to live with each other, he admitted, adding, this is not an apartment where we can put the tape down the middle of it. We've got to find a way to make it work. We've got to find a way to make it work. And, Mr. President, I will tell you this. The way to make it work is not demonizing half of the nation or even more than half by denigrating them for exercising their First Amendment rights. That's exactly what you're doing, and you're weaponizing the U.S. Department of Justice against American citizens. Mr. President, that's a dangerous thing to do. Wow, wow, wow. What a day. Thanks for being here. We're going to do this every day this week, by the way, and want to have you back. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Central. Until then, have a great Monday. So long, everybody. Such a feeling's coming over me. There is wonder in most everything I see. Not a cloud in the sky. Got the sun in my eyes. And I won't be surprised if it's a dream. Everything I want the world to be. Is now coming true, especially for me And the reason is clear It's because you are here You're the nearest thing to heaven that I've seen I'm on the top of the world Looking down on creation And the only explanation I can find Is the love that I've since you've been around Your love's put me at the top of the world Something in the wind has learned my name And it's telling me that things are not the same In the leaves on the trees And the church of the breeze there's a pleasing sense of happiness for me There is only one wish on my mind When this day is through I hope that I will find That tomorrow will be just the same for you and me All I need will be mine if you are You've been around Your love's put me at the top of the world
you've been around, you almost put me at the top of the world.